Well, it's really wonderful to be here this morning, and uh, we've looked forward to the uh, time here in St. Albans for uh, a long time. Uh, as Anne says, we've been friends for, for many years, and uh, we actually were here in St. Albans maybe about, we're trying to work it out, maybe nine or ten years ago, the last time, and it's really great that we can be here again. Great to be in this building again. The last time uh, we were here, the church, I think, had just bought the building, somewhere it was around about there, and uh, so we, we're really looking forward to um, connecting with some of you and having a few chats. Uh, that's Renee over there, for those of you that you don't know, that don't, don't know her, yeah, and said that as well. Okay. Some of you really asked me, uh, you got a South African accent, and uh, you uh, live in uh, the city of Dresden in Germany. Um, how does that actually work? How did you get from South Africa to Dresden? And uh, there must have been a few steps along the way. And so I thought I'd just share a little bit of our testimony as to uh, what has actually transpired in our lives in these more than 19 years. Because uh, the story began many, many years ago when we were uh, living in Johannesburg in South Africa. Uh, we were both Christians. Uh, we were serving, serving the Lord and um, had uh, done my studies at Randolph Accounts University in South Africa. Uh, was an accountant working for a company called KPMG. And uh, KPMG then said to us, uh, just after I qualified, uh, we actually got an idea um, for your future. And, uh, and we were had at that stage already had thought, well, maybe we'd go to some place like England or Australia or the USA. But what happened was that they said, we actually got an idea. We would like you to go to Germany. And uh, that, was the, that was the challenge. We said, well, Germany, and how are we going to cope with Germany when, we've, when we're South African uh, English speakers? And uh, one of the things that they didn't know, but uh, which had really helped, was that I had done some uh, German for uh, matric in South Africa. I did three years, three years of German, so that was a big help. I had a grammar background, but I couldn't actually speak any of the language. And so uh, well, we prayed about it, and we really felt that God was, was in that. And so uh, we went uh, to Cologne and lived in Cologne for two years and worked at the international office and uh, did the things that the company wanted us to do. But the thing that happened was that after we'd been there for about, about a year or so, uh, we were involved in a little church there and they put on this really big conference. So we went along to the conference and we were just helping, serving. Um, I was helping them uh, count offerings and do finances and things like that, pay some bills. And uh, one, one day, after the, just after the one session had finished, I uh, stood up and I went into the, the uh, aisle which was um, in that building and, uh, and I heard the Holy Spirit spoke to me and uh, it, was, it, was just, it, was not, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was like an audible voice because I'd never ever had this thought in my whole life before. And he said to me, what would you do if I called you to this nation as a pastor? I was like, it was radical because um, some, I had some stirrings about in, the ba in my background that maybe sometime God could use me, but then we had buried that a long time before then and said, never a pastor, okay? <laughs> and my wife said, never a pastor's wife, yeah? <laughs> she was brought up in a, in a pastor's home, and so that's why she married me. She said, thank God, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> He's not a pastor, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but I knew that he'd spoken to me and I couldn't, I couldn't explain it any other way because I knew that it was a radical thought that I wasn't having at that moment and I'd never had it before. And that's where it began. And so God confirmed it in our hearts through many other ways. We went back to South Africa. We were involved in a large church there and um, continued to work for the company, and then uh, they came along one day and said to us, uh, we would like you to come on to the full-time staff of the church. We'd like you to join the eldership. And so uh, we made the transition from the world of the accountants to the world of the pastors and uh, to a completely different way of life, but with, um, with many, many other pressures. And so we were in that church in Johannesburg for about... Um, well, we just actually started in the church. We'd been in full-time there for about a couple of weeks. And, uh, and then God spoke to us a second time, spoke to me a second time about something completely different and said, um, 
I want you to plant a church in South Africa uh, before that vision for Germany is fulfilled. And uh, so we planted a church in a place called Benoni. Many of the South Africans here. Uh, when you go to South Africa as a tourist, don't bother to visit Benoni, okay? <laughs> okay? Um, there isn't anything there, just one dirty coal mine, you know? So that's it. Uh, um, but anyway, it became a place of great blessing for us. And we went to Benoni and planted. And God really blessed what, what, what happened there. And um, it, was, it was an incredible time. It was like he, what he did is he compacted into six and a half years, just like a whole ton of lessons that one needed to learn as a leader in order to be able to be ready for the next assignment. You know, and God's busy doing that. God's busy doing that with each one of us, every one of you. Even now, um, he's preparing you for the next thing. And uh, you, don't, you don't always realize that, but actually that's part of it. And sometimes we, we can't believe that that's actually the lesson, but it is actually the lesson. And so right at that moment, uh, we thought, oh, go to Benoni to plant a church. Why would we want to do that when we actually want to go to Germany? And so, um, and it took much longer than we expected, but uh, God was in all of that. And then later on when we... Uh, we came to the point where uh, some things came together, and the way we got to Dresden was that our, our church had, had um, some connections through a network called NCMI, and uh, they had uh, some connections to a couple of churches in Germany. And this one church in Germany was, was having um, real major problems. And so the, uh, the team leader of the network uh, speaks to us and says, well, you guys can speak a bit of German. Now, why don't you go and help this church? Next time you go to, you know, plan a trip to Europe and go and help this church. And so we're now in 1998. And so we, uh, we went um, and helped this church in, in, in Dresden. And uh, it was, we had a long weekend there. The church was a complete shambles. Um, there was, uh, everybody was fighting with everybody. Uh, they were wondering what we're going to do with the church. Should we close the church, whatever. And so we like into the situation and do our best to help them. Uh, so, but they, they were being, it was led by, uh, there was a pastor who was leading the church, second pastor. Uh, and then we went back to South Africa and thought, okay, well, we hope that something comes out of that visit. And then a couple of months after that, the leader of the church resigned and said, well, he's not leading it anymore. And um, the, they left, just left the church. And the, and the other guys were saying, well, what are we going to do now? Uh, and they tried to try to come up with some solutions, who could lead the church, do we have any German guys to lead the church? And then a couple of them came up with a bright idea. <laughs> they maybe those exotic Africans <laughs> could be a solution for our very East German church, right? <laughs> and so that's what happened. So they called us and they said, look, um, we came up with this idea. And uh, what I was hearing behind it was, uh, we are so desperate, we've got no other solutions. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, you're like the last in the queue, but, you know, would you possibly consider this? <laughs> so that's how it came about. And uh, we went and um, spoke to the leaders, um, had a whole lot of discussions. That was in February 99. And, uh, and on that visit, of course, going there with other, with other spectacles on and looking at the church, it was like the, the faith of God just grew in my heart. I mean... I mean, I spent a week there, and by the time I got on the plane to go back, I was like, I was saying, God, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually desperate in my heart to come back to this place. It was like an incredible experience. When you looked at it with your natural eyes, back then you would have said, never, what do you want to come, what do you want to come here for? But in, but in what God was doing in my heart then, it was like he, he just gave me a download of faith, and um, I knew that was a place. But uh, we had to wait for three or four weeks before their leadership team actually decided that, that, that they would actually call us to come there. And so um, eventually they did that, and they celebrated. They were sitting around there, and they called us up, and they said, hey, you know, this is, we're celebrating because this is the first time in as long as we can remember that, that we that are left in the leadership team actually took a decision where we all agreed about something. Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's how we got to go there. And, um, yeah, so... That was the start of it, and God has, we handed our church over that we planted to another couple in South Africa. And God, ha we've been on an adventure for the last 19 years, which has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, 
I'm so grateful to God for everything that he's done. Uh, he's done way more than what we could ever have imagined or thought when we arrived there. And it's the grace of God. It's really incredible. And, and so we're, um, we're living our dream. Uh, we, we've, um, I started from the, from the first Sunday. I said, okay, well, I'm going to preach in German. So I would, uh, I spent, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so what I did is I, um, I took my, I took my, my, my notes, I would, I preached, the, I got them all ready in English, and then I would translate everything into German with a dictionary, write it out as best as I could, and then I'd stand up on Sunday, and with what I could, I'd preach a little bit free, but most of the time I was reading off the page, and every single time I did that, um, after the, every time I finished preaching, everyone started clapping. It was like, it was like a connection through actually doing that. And so, so and it wasn't great. I mean, you know, after six months, one guy comes to me and says, you know, you know, we really love coming to church. As I said, oh, you know, why do you really, you know, what's different about the church compared to the past? We said, we've always got something to laugh about every Sunday, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, but and um, incredible thing was that that yeah, you come as this you know South African English speaking in this church, which was uh, we the first foreigners that joined the church, and uh, I mean the, the leaders in the town, leaders in the city, they said, well, this is never going to work. It spoke to their to the to the to our church leaders and said, you know, you guys are crazy. Why are you inviting these guys to come? And um, and after a year or two, it started to work. And you know, God is is just incredible. He can take uh, it. It fitted. It was like a, it was like a, a match that he'd organized. It was almost like that the church. He's the, if I look back, the Holy Spirit set up the church. Um, the people that were problems in the church all, had all left by the time we got there. When they heard we were coming, the last other people also left. And, uh, and so we took over this church and, you know, and we just had, we had on board people that said, hey, we feel like God's called us here and we prepared to, we prepared to commit into this church. And uh, we're, actually, we're actually trusting God for something new and we're actually calling you because we're actually asking you to lead us because we actually want to change. We know something's got to change. Yeah, so, you know, like they had, I, don't, I think it was back then they had like 59 or 69 people on, their, on the church list. And then there was children in addition to that. So like on, on Sunday morning, you'd like put out 69 chairs, you know. Like we don't expect anyone wants to join us. I mean, who would want to come and join our church? And then, then, uh, then God started to send people to the church. And... Uh, Right from the beginning, it was like our own people couldn't believe that people wanted to come and join. People that want to even come to our meetings, you know, and so, and, and especially that they wanted to listen to our pastor, you know. <laughs> but it was something that it was something you see when when God's actually in it, and the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit actually anoints us, and He actually empowers us. Um, there's there's nothing that people can they, they sense it even though the, the words come out wrong and even though something even though in how you're doing it seems a bit feeble and weak and so on they actually sense that that the Holy Spirit's doing it and they're drawn by that and so he began to build the church and that's what began to change and and so we were able to um, after that start to start study to build the leadership team heal the church and so on and um, and today yeah maybe let's give you perhaps a little bit an idea of, of where we are today. It might help a little bit to just put a bit of context. We have, we have, um, we are a multi-site church. We have most Sundays. We have five meetings on a Sunday. We have uh, a morning service in the center of Dresden. We have an evening service in Dresden. We've got sites on five, on three other places. Uh, we have um, a pastoral team with fourteen couples. Um, some of them are, but half of them are full-time in the church. Uh, and um, small, we have maybe, I think, just over 60 small groups that are part of the life of the church. And, and so the, the, the thing that, that, that has happened is that there's just been a, a multiplication. And by the grace of God, the, the leadership team has hung together. We haven't lost people from our team. And uh, we've been able to see that he's got, a, he's got a, a destiny for us as a church. He's got a destiny for us as a, as a leadership team. And, and I believe that that it's uh, we, our best days are still to come. We, we're busy with the building. We've, we bought a property um, seven years ago. And uh, 
we had uh, we had saved up some money to buy the property, and then. Uh, uh, but when we actually got to this property, we never believed that we would actually be able to buy it uh, because it was like, you know, what property is like in Europe. It's just like an amount of property we needed. So we were looking at um, 7,000 square meters of, um, of land. It was land and had an old school on it. And, uh, and so we stood before it, and at that stage, I think our pastoral team was maybe six or seven on our, on our couples and our staff. We stood before the building and said, oh, God, you know, this is maybe a bit big for us. Um, and we don't know what we, we don't know, we've got the faith for this. Uh, but we, we prayed about it as a team. It took us six months, and we decided God actually really is in this. And so we took it to the church. Uh, we, all the savings that we had as a church was about a third of the price of the building. And the incredible thing was that we actually got a deal with the, with the owner um, to pay it off in installments without financing it through anyone else. And, uh, but he wanted the money in one year. Uh, so that was, we're saying, God, help us. You know, we don't know how we're going to do this. And we prayed again as a team. We said, okay. So I, was, I signed a contract to pay the building off in three installments in one year. And four days before the final installment was due, which was the big one. We had all the money on our bank account. For then we paid cash for that, well, basically cash for the property in 2011, 2000, 2012. And uh, so that's what we're busy with. On It's another big project that we're busy with at the moment, is actually uh, building the building. And uh, it's got its whole ton of stories all on its own as to how God is working and how God is doing things. And uh, so I'm, I'm telling you all this because I'm so grateful to, to him and also because I want you in your own hearts to say, well, hey, if God can do that with them, he can do that, do that with us, right? He can do it. He's the same God. He's not a different God. He has the same God in Dresden. He's the same God. as the same God here. And so I want you this, I want you this morning to, in your heart to say, to say, God, I'm actually trusting you for more. And even tomorrow morning, I want you to say in your heart, God, I'm actually trusting you for more. Now this is, you know, what, what we've got here and what you got here, this is not the end of the road. This is actually the beginning. Right? And I mean, you know, you can look back on your history and you can say, okay, we had some difficult times now and then. Uh, but, but uh, you know, I want you to, in your heart, say, our best days are coming yet. God, expand my heart. Expand my heart. And God, this is not about, this is not about the church. This is what I'm going to share this morning. This is about you. This is also about, about you actually making the next steps. And saying, God, uh, I actually want to uh, fulfill your plans and purposes for my life. All right? Yeah. So, Father, I just I pray, Holy Spirit, that you come now and that you would just you would expand our hearts. I want to thank you, Lord. The testimonies are simply just proclaiming the goodness of God because He because you can do it again and again and again. And so, Lord, I pray that in the hearts of these folk here this morning, I thank you for everyone here, Lord, and for all that they do in this church. I ask you to expand their hearts. I pray that you'd, you'd sow into their hearts. I pray, Lord, that they'd take something from this morning and from tomorrow, Lord, that's going to change, going to change their, the way they look on life, Lord. Father, I pray that they begin to see bigger, Lord, dream bigger. Expand, Lord, what is in each one of them. We ask you to do that, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, what, for who you are and for what you're planning and for what you're doing. Touch this team, Lord. Touch each, each one of them in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Yes, as I had, we advertised for this um, this morning, oh, yes, um, it would be important as well for you to know that we, uh, we have three children. Um, some of you asked the question, some of you ask the question, well, you know, what about, how old were they, what do they do, um, how do they cope with going to Germany? And, it, and let me just say the bottom line is, it was really, really tough. It was really tough. I mean, when we moved to Germany, they were 14, 12, and 9, my kiddies. Well, they weren't kiddies, little kiddies back then, and they had to go to school, and they never learned German, they'd never done German before. And the funny thing about it is that uh, my, well, my eldest two children are both uh, went through university in Dresden, and my son is a teacher in the school. He teaches English and German. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? He's also, he also did Russian. And, uh, and so he's teaching in the school. Uh, my, my daughter also did languages at university. And she's teaching in a, in a school. And she's teaching the grade ones. And, uh, 
My other daughter is living near Stuttgart, and uh, she's uh, working in a, in a, in a family-owned business, uh, which is they've got multiple investments and so on, and she's helping in the administration, doing a whole lot of different things there, including media and other things. So this is my family, um, so that you've got an idea. Uh, yes, we are grandparents. You would never think so, right? But uh, <laughs> okay, but we actually have five grandchildren, and we have three children, um, which are, who are all married. So on the left here is my son-in-law, then my daughter, uh, then my second daughter Lauren, and then her husband, and then of course the two of us, and then and then Jana, which is uh, my son, my son's right on the right-hand side, and then Jana is is my daughter-in-law. Uh, she's um, she's what what's called what in Germany is called they would say is a a Russian German because she moved to move, moved back in, a, in terms of an agreement uh, between Russia and Germany after the Second World War. So she was born in Russia, came to Germany when she was 19, and uh, so her mother's mother tongue is is Russian. And so and then we have uh, little uh, five little grandchildren. Um, and um, on my son and, and on Jana's side, they speak uh, Kaylin, who is yeah Kaylin, who's sitting right on the right in the front here. She speaks three languages. Uh, English, German, and Russian. Russian to mom, English to, to dad and to us. And then if she's in kindergarten, then she does German in kindergarten. So she's, um, and she's coping, which is great. And then in the front, we also have my, my wife's parents um, who uh, came to live with us five years ago um, from South Africa. Okay, so that's, that's our family. Really grateful for every one of them. Thank you. So the first thing, so this morning uh, we, I'm going to be speaking about uh, authority in the church is different. Authority in the church is different. And I want to show you a couple of slides. Uh, have a look at the, po the, the, po the pictures that I'm going to show you right now. And, uh, and ask and say to yourself, are these, are these authorities all the same? Okay, you're going to recognize some of these, these people. Are all these authorities the same? Next one, yeah. When she was much younger. <laughs> okay. My question. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Now ask yourself the question. Ask yourself the question. Are all these authorities... The same? Or is there a difference between them? That's a very key question that we need to ask ourselves because most people in the church would say that all those authorities are the same. And especially when they've had a, an experience with authority in the church, they would say, well, that's all the same. And the good news that I'm going to, what I want to share with you this morning is that authority in the church is different. It's not all the same, and we need to find out why it's different, and we don't be able to understand that. So is authority uh, in the church different? Yes, it is different. When I was uh, in the school in South Africa, I remember distinctly I was at primary school, and uh, we were marched into the, into the hall in the mornings, and then we'd be marched out again. And as soon as you came into the hall in the morning, you had to keep quiet. No one was allowed to say anything, and you just stand in, stand in your row. Okay. And uh, on one particular morning, uh, we marched into the hall, and uh, the, the, one of the teachers um, came and, and said that I was talking. He said, uh, you've been talking. He said, you get out of here and come and stand against the wall. Okay, so she pulls me out, and I'm standing against the wall there. And then afterwards, she says, uh, she gets my, the little guy, the friend of mine who's standing next to me, says, and you as well, you come and stand next to the wall. And straight after the sermon, she marches us off to the headmaster, and the headmaster didn't talk too much to us. Um, she said, these two little boys, they've been naughty this morning, and they were talking in assembly. So he goes to his, uh, his cupboard, he gets out a stick, and he says, bend over, and he gives us each one in our behinds, right? Most of you are shocked. <laughs> but back then in South Africa, that happened. Okay, but the, the tough thing about it for me was that, and that's why I always remember it, because on that morning, I had not done anything wrong. Okay, there were other mornings where, 
Yeah, <laughs> where it might have been. <laughs> okay, but uh, on that morning, I had done nothing wrong, and now I get marched out, and I get punished for something I never did. And so I remember having in my heart a, a real problem with that person who was the director of the school. A serious problem. And then later on in South Africa, we all had to do army service. So we went off to the army. And uh, some of the things that happened in the army were, I mean, I don't even want to mention them here, uh, because of a rank system and you were dealt with because of the authority that was put over you and you felt most of the time that you're being hard treated, badly treated, mistreated. And so when, you, when some of you hear this word authority, as you're sitting there, you, go, you, you might have immediately a, a negative feeling of, hey, authority, I don't want to hear the word. And it's authority, it might be my father, authority might be the teacher at school, authority might be my boss that I'm struggling with right now, authority might be the CEO of the company, authority might be someone who's unfairly treated you, authority might be your husband, or there might be a th some in your life who's, or someone who's mistreating you. Authority might be the past of the last church that I was part of. So you don't want to hear the word authority. And unfortunately, some of these things are true. And uh, there is a thing called abuse in the church. But the problem that we've got is that immediately when we hear that, we actually then react to it, and instead of being on this side, instead of actually getting to a, a healthy position on like, what is actually authority in the church, we actually reject all kind of authority, and we get over on the other side and we say, I never want to be part of a church, I never want to be committed anywhere, I never want to have anything to do with anyone in authority, you know, never commit yourself because you never know you might just get hurt again, and, uh, and that's not helping us either, that's not helping you either because the way that God wanted it to be is actually different. He didn't want it to be like that. And so that's what I want to speak about this morning. And so what we first of all need to see is that there is a general authority. Uh, God gives, um, gives, he's the one who gives all authority. We can read that in Romans 13. He's the one who gives all authority comes from him. Okay, and there's, we, we might not recognize it. And when it's outside of the church, we might not recognize it at all. But we also need to see that He's the one that's, that's instituted that right back in the beginning. In Genesis 1, 26 and 28, now we can read the following. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals. The, the wild animals on the earth and the small animals and the, and the, that, that scurry along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the air, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And so what he actually, what he actually did is that he's given man authority. So we have authority. Just look around you for every, we still, we still have that position of authority over all the, the birds of the, of the sky, the fish of the sea, and so on. He's created, he's, he's ordained it that the man is head of the home. He's got an authority uh, that comes with a huge amount of responsibility. Uh, he, he set it up like that. Uh, but then we also need to see that not only are there those, some of those things that are in place, uh, though, whether we are Christians or not, whether we recognize that or not, that's in place. But in addition to that, there's spiritual authority. There's an authority that Jesus gives. Like Jesus gave his 12 disciples uh, another authority where he says to them uh, in Luke 9, for example, he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Or in Matthew 10 where it says, authority given is equal to... With uh, the same thing again, where he actually sends them out and says, "I'm giving you authority uh, to actually go and do the do the work." Uh, in and then he repeats it for all of us in Matthew in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. He actually says, so "All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples." So he's saying, 
I've, these are my, he gives us the examples, then later when he, he makes it, he generalizes it for every single one of us who's a Christian, and he says, this is my authority that I'm giving you. He's giving us, he's giving us a special authority, which is, which is not a general authority like he's given to man, but a, a spiritual authority to move things in the heavenlies. And, uh, to, and the best, um, sorry, I'm, I, I, need, I need a little bit more, it's a little bit more light here. So I need, otherwise, I need to get my glasses out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I need fitting. So I'm just. It'd be better if I just put a lamp on here because yeah, I don't have the my glasses with me. They're they're back in the in the in the room. And so you might say to me, "Well, we have we, we actually I actually actually have all authority. If Jesus says um, that he's given me authority, then we already have all authority. So what do we actually need to learn? What, what's, the, what's this teaching about? And this teaching is much more about the fact that he has actually given us authority, like we've got it in our bank account, or it's been put in our account, but how many of us actually have possessed that authority? How many of us actually have taken that authority? How many, how many of us have actually used that authority, and by, the, by our accepting the will of God and, and being obedient to what he does. Okay, great. Okay. This is going to be good for the video. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, thanks a lot. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant, you know. This is good for the video, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Did you put it? Oh, yeah, it's extracting the screen. Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, I'll just put that there. That's good. Thanks. Brilliant. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, great. So, like, uh, authority is like, is like, um, he gives us authority as we actually have the maturity and as we actually, as we're able to deal with it, cope with that authority. I mean, when your children grow up, uh, when they're babies, you're not going to give them all the inheritance. Say, look, he has all the money. Just use it as however you want to. But actually, as they as they become more mature, they're actually you actually give them more responsibility. And eventually, they actually have have the ability to uh, take responsibility for that which has been given to them and which they already possess right from day one, if they've inherited from, say, a grandfather or someone else. And that's what it's about. So we've got that authority. He's given it to us. And, and through our lives and through our actions and through us being faithful to him, uh, he expands it in our lives and it becomes more and more fruitful. Then, of course, he also has given leadership uh, authority to get the job done. He gives us authority to get, to get the job done, but he also gives leaders the same authority. If you look at uh, elders in churches, 1, 1, 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 says that those that, that, have a, that, that, that who, the, who do the job well, who rule well, are worthy of more honor. So what he's actually saying here is that elders actually have to rule. We don't like hearing the word rule. We don't like hearing the, the word they need to govern, but it's true that they need to do that. The question is, how do they need to do that? And he's about giving us that authority that's needed uh, to get the job done. And it's not authority like, like the, the way that we think about it in Matthew 20, verse 28. And this is very, very key for us. In Matthew 20, 20 uh, 28, it speaks about a completely different kind of authority. Uh, and this is, what Jesus, this is what Jesus said. He says, when the... When, when, the, when the other disciples heard what, what, uh, what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over the people and officials. They flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, that's the thing. So what he's saying is that he's actually taking the example straight out the world and saying, this is what most people think authority is. It's like an authority that is lorded over people. 
But he says, not so with you. In that moment, what he's actually introducing is he's introducing servant-hearted leadership. And the problem that we have is that we, most people can't, can't combine the two things. They can't think, how can a leader also be a servant? How do these, things, these two things function together? But what he's saying is that this is actually the way I want it to be. And so he introduces a completely new uh, way of leadership, which is under the new covenant. And that is a servant-hearted leader. So we, let me give you an example. We have a, on Sunday mornings, we, have to, uh, we meet in a, in a sport gymnasium, and we have to build up all our equipment. We have to put out hundreds of chairs. We have to put up everything in the children's ministry. We have to build up the coffee area. We have a massive job to do on a Sunday morning. Be glad. Be grateful for all that you've got here. Let me say that to you. All right? Yeah. I can see some of you are saying, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now sometimes, and so we have, a, we have a very well run oil system, how we do all of that and how we get all that work done every Sunday. And, um, and we have a prayer meeting before the meeting. And what I do is that I go, I arrive and I go straight to the prayer meeting. And I pray before the, before, before the meeting and so on. Then we have a small break and then it's, the meeting begins. And so that's what I'm involved with. But, and so you might say, well, you see, that's not really servant-hearted. Servant-hearted would be that you'd actually be doing a whole lot of practical things here. Now, that's not what it's about. Servant-heartedness is about the attitude in your heart. That's, where it really, that's, where it, that's what it's really about. So we've got a good organization which we set up so that I can actually focus on what I believe is the most important thing I should be doing before the meeting begins. But my attitude is I remain a servant no matter what. So should it be that on one particular Sunday, our very well-run German oil system, okay, <laughs> would happen not to work, all right, then I am not, uh, as a result of my leadership authority, I am not then taken out of the responsibility of putting out chairs and helping in every single way that's possible. So I will see, hey, some guys didn't arrive this morning. So we start putting out chairs. We rolled down the mats. We say, what, is there, what else is there to do? We set up the entrance, set up the reception area. And so we're all involved, hands on, because in our hearts, any job that we ask anyone else to do, we are also prepared to do ourselves. Okay, that's what, that's what servant-heartedness is about. It doesn't mean that we don't organize it and doesn't, we don't organize things to get the focus right. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. So when Jesus says here, he says, it's not so with you. He's actually saying, well, there's another kind of authority. It's a servant-hearted authority. It's a different way of leading. And I'm sorry that for some of you, maybe that you've had a different experience and, you, and you're saying, well, I've had experience with, with leadership that's not servant-hearted. I just want to say to you that that's not the way that Jesus wanted it to be. And because... He wanted to be servant-hearted, and he wanted us to actually participate, partake of that, and to experience something totally different. The Ephesian elders are spoken to in Acts 20, and, and, and Paul speaks to them, and he says, uh, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit actually made you leaders in this congregation. So when we're speaking about authority in the church, what we actually need to see is that authority in the church is about who has the Holy Spirit appointed. Who has the Holy Spirit actually anointed? Who has the Holy Spirit actually given, given the life of God to? And then we need to look for that and come behind that and then lay hands on whoever the Holy Spirit is anointing for the task. And if we get that right, then we get leadership in the church right. The problem is that we don't always get that part right because we have people that get into leadership that maybe are self-appointed or maybe they are man-appointed. In other words, they've got enough people around them, and they've got enough voices, and so on, they get appointed. But it's not, it's not spiritual authority. It's just like they just work in a, manipulative, in a manipulative way to get that authority and to get that position. They've got a pastor in a, a leader of a, of a liberal denominational church in Dresden, 
And he's the leader of the church, and he is a believer. He's a believer. And he tells me at meetings sometimes, he says, i got a huge problem because I'm dealing with the leadership team. And he says, half my leadership team, they're not even believers. Yeah? They got voted in by the church onto the board. And he says, they don't even believe in the Bible. And I'm a believer, and I've got to work with this team. Now, you see, that's man-appointed. Okay, that's not God-appointed. And what we need is we need the God-appointed leaders who actually are touched by the Spirit of God. And they're not always the people that we see, but they're the people that God wants in the leadership because He wants it to be done differently. He wants a servant-hearted leadership team that actually leads something and releases what He wants to be released in the church. And so there's, there is a difference between authority in the world and authority in the church. So your Theresa May and our Angela Merkel, they're appointed through man-made systems and they've got authority. All right, but that's authority out there. It's an original source of that is actually God also. But when it comes to the church, we need the God-appointed spiritual authority, that which is going to release life. And so this morning, I want to speak about, about some of the, 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 the aspects of that, the nature of this, God, this, this God-given authority. And I've got seven things I want to say, and we'll do some until we have the coffee break and then some after. But... Um, Perhaps just to lead in on that, Watchman Nee said this. Watchman Nee is a, a well-known leader in China, and they, he's written a couple of books, and he says this. To be a good Christian, one must know what authority is, because it represents God. By tracing authority to its highest source, you will eventually see God. So if you reject all authority today... You say, I don't want to have anything to do with authority. You've actually got a problem, in fact, with God, because God is an authority. And he's actually set up different, different systems of authority around us. And, he's, and, and his authority is for us to be blessed, not for us to be hurt. And that's the result, that was going to be the summary of what we're going to say um, this morning. So the first thing is this. The first thing is God-given authority is identified by a release of life. God-given authority is identified by a release of life. You can turn to your Bibles in Numbers. If you've got a Bible there, we're going to read, just read out of Numbers chapter 7. Sorry, not 7, 17. We've got, yeah, 17. Have we got it? 17. One to eight. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring you twelve wooden staffs, one from each leader of Israel's ancestral tribes, and inscribe each leader's name on his staff. Inscribe Aaron's name on the staff of the tribe of Levi, for there must be one staff for the leader of each ancestral tribe. Place these staffs in the tabernacle in front of the ark, containing the tablets of the covenant, where I meet with you. Buds will sprout on the staff belonging to the man I choose. Then I will finally put an end to the people's murmuring and complaining against you. So Moses gave the instruction to the people of Israel, and each of the twelve tribal leaders, including Aaron, brought Moses a staff. And Moses placed the staffs in the Lord's presence in the tabernacle of the covenant. And when he went into the tabernacle of the covenant the next day, he found that Aaron's staff, representing the tribe of, Is of Levi, had sprouted, budded, blossomed, and produced ripe almonds. Isn't it incredible, eh? So, so what we got is we've got 12, 12 staffs, 12 rods, and they'll all look exactly the same. But the, the rod that God chooses, it's Aaron's rod. And what does he do to it? Supernaturally, or in an awesome, miraculous way, this rod begins to bud. And it's again and again throughout the scriptures, you're going to, you will see that every time there is someone who God has actually called and he's anointed him, his rod begins to bud. The others all look the same, but this is the one where the rod, where the rod begins to bud. 
And so the first thing about a God-given authority is that there is a release of life. And the people that we need leading the church needs to be the authorities where there's a release of life. Okay, that's what we need. We don't need people that have manipulated into the position and there's no life. So when we went to, we went to Dresden, um, I would say, looking back, what actually went wrong in Dresden before we got there was that they had placed the value of faithfulness and serving way high up on the, on the scale and they said anybody who does that and so on, they're the ones that become leaders. But what they had forgotten is that that's not all there is. We actually need an anointing. We actually need people that release life as well. And so you, the, and everybody who came into the church back then, they would actually spy out the system and say, okay, I can actually work myself up on the ladder. And if I'm faithful enough, serve enough, do enough in the church, I'm going to become one of the elders, one of the core team. And so we had people in the core team that had no anointing. There was no re release of life. They were actually releasing death. And that's where we went wrong. Now that's important, faithfulness. I mean, I can't, if I've got a charismatic, anointed leader, I can't do anything with him unless he's also faithful. Okay, but we need the two things together. And so we need a release of life. Now, many years ago, I went to a church in South Africa, and they said to me, um, actually, we want you to ordain an elder. So I said, well, why should, we, why should I ordain this, this man? So they said, well, uh, he's, you know, he's a good guy, and everybody likes him. And, uh, you know, he comes to church and, you know, people think he's great. So, well, you know, what has he done? What is, what, what is, what is actually his track record in the church? So they said to me, well, um, two years ago he started a small group. So I said, okay, well, how's the small group going? Well, man, after about a year or so, a whole lot of people stopped coming to the group. They didn't really like the group so much and so on. And so he stopped doing that. Oh, okay, well, what, is, what did he do then? Well, he said, that he's, 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 uh, he said that he's called to do counseling. So, so I said, what happened? Well, then we started a counseling team. I said, well, how's it going? He said, well, well, you know, it started off okay, but, um, but right, now, right now it's like falling apart. Nothing's really happening. But you know, he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. Everybody really likes him here. And so on. So I said to, I said to them and asked a few more questions. I said, well, you know what? If, if you look at it from my perspective... I've got to say that I don't believe that it's the right moment for this man. Maybe God has got a calling in his life, but there's not enough release of life for me to be able to actually appoint this man into, as an elder in your church. No, and he was quite amazed, but a year later he said to me, hey, thank you so much for that. It was the best thing that happened. We, had, we spoke to him, and, uh, and nothing's happened since then. Okay, and so what, so what do you do when you're looking for a leader? What I do in our church, what I do... I look and I say, Holy Spirit, who are you putting your hand on and where is the release of life? We just, bought a, uh, just recently brought that 14th couple onto our team. They're Russian speakers, come from Kazakhstan. They've been living in, in Dresden for seven or eight years. They've been in our church for about three years. And they started, I said to them, start a group. So they didn't want to start a Russian group in the beginning. They started a German group. So the German small group started happening. So then he came to me and said, well, I think that we should start. And I said, I'm just keep pushing the Russian idea. So he said, okay, well, we'll start a Russian group. So now he's starting. So I said, what about the other group? He said, well, we, can, we think we can actually do both groups together. So like on a Wednesday night, they had like the German small group. On Friday night, they had the Russian small group. You know how much commitment that is, okay? But it's not about the commitment if nothing was happening. But a whole lot of things started to happen. God started added to people, added Russian-speaking people into their group. That group is exploding. There's a whole group of those Russian people in our church now who are excited about Jesus. Some people that recently got saved, a couple that got baptized in the Holy Spirit. All these things happening in their lives and so on. And when I came to the church and I said, hey, I think that we should appoint a new elder, and I think that, that this man's an elder, um, the church celebrated celebrated. I can see there's life all over what they're doing. See, because it's what the Holy Spirit does. When he comes and he anoints someone, there has to be a release of life. 
So we need to look for that and we need to hold that and we need to say, it's not how much, it's not how long we hold the rod in the presence of God. Okay? You can say, well, other guys probably think, well, if we just put, keep the rod there a bit longer, so maybe my rod's also going to be a bud, you know? Uh, it's not about human effort, it's about what he does, and then we're responsible uh, with that. Number two. We'll do number two, and then we'll have a break. God given authority results from revelation. Revelation. A God given authority has revelation and his uh, authority is seen in an appropriate level of revelation i mean people um god's god's choice um, will be given a revelation necessary for the task see and that's the thing it's a, it's whatever god's called that person to do there's a revelation in that area now there are some incredible worship leaders around the world okay that god has actually and some songwriters, and he's, God's given them a, an anointing to write songs. Okay, now, I don't, ha- I don't think I've even got an anointing to sing. Okay? <laughs> okay? That's how it is. And it's okay. My wife says I make a joyful noise before the Lord, right? Yeah? <laughs> And I love it, and I love worship. Okay, but that's so. So, in terms of revelation of how the song could be, or how this, this these words, etc., etc., I don't have that. He's never going to give that to me. But he's going to give me in the area, the area of where he wants to give me authority. He's given me a, a level of revelation. Okay, connected with with all kind of thing, aspects of the life of the church. Revelation to actually say, God, how do you want us to build this? Uh, I'm a builder from, from it's what God's comment is to, is to build. And so, you know, I see things of, hey, you could take this stone and put it over here. I'm talking about, not talking about building buildings. I'm talking about spiritual buildings. You could take this and you could put it here. Add this ministry over here. Raise this cup. Give this guy a thing to do. Let him run this for two years and then bring him from here to there. That's how I think. Because it's part of, the anointing that is placed on my life to build that, you see, and and so there's a, a level of revelation that He gives to us, and it's a confirmation of the God-given authority that He's put in your life for whatever it is that He's called you to do. He's going to help you to do it. Now, there's scripture to go with that, and um, and God defends His God-given authority by revelation. Numbers chapter twelve. Numbers chapter 12, and we'll read from, uh, from verse 1. It says there, While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. And so immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go out to the temple, all three of you. So the three of them went out to the tabernacle, and then the Lord descended in a pillar of cloud and stood in the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, Now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in vision. I would speak to them in dreams. But not so with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why are you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? So what does God do when it comes to defending the authority of Moses? What does he do? He actually calls on the level of revelation that he's given to Moses. And he says, the level of revelation that I've given to this man is outstanding compared to Miriam and Aaron. Therefore, why are you, are you not fearful of criticizing my appointed man? Okay? So he says, level of revelation. It's another aspect of that authority. We had um, a team leader in a, in a network, an NCMI network many years ago, and uh, we, which we were part of back then, and uh, and we would 
uh, we would go to go to a team a meeting where we would, all the whole team of of translocal guys would get together and the team leader would stand up and then he'd say open your bible to this passage and you open the bible and uh, you know john 15 and i'm thinking to myself oh, geez, i've read this passage like 20 times before and i'm thinking uh, what what is he going to say about this passage and then he'll start to speak and like i'd say what i've never heard that before i've never even thought of that before and we would be excited about going to those meetings whenever those meetings were happening. And what happened, what, it, what it actually was, was that there was a level of revelation that was upon his authority that actually established him as a leader in that context. So that's what God does. And whatever the context is that he's establishing you, he's going to give you a level of revelation for that task, which is connected to the task that he has in mind for you. And so Moses knew the will of God. Now, when it comes to, you know, we had a, a, one of my, one of my, th back then, three, maybe, what is it, maybe 13, 14 years ago, um, one of the, I brought a young guy onto our pastoral team, eldership team. And um, I was amazed in the beginning. I, I thought he's got great potential. And I just watched to see what was happening in his life. And so he comes to me one day and he says, um, I believe God's called me to go to work with Metro Kids Ministries, New York City. So, no, good idea, you know, because he's, he's children's ministry work. I thought, oh, great thing, you know. So then he comes back to me and he says, uh, I applied and um, my visa was turned down by the American Embassy in Berlin. So I said, okay, what are you going to do now? I said, I'm going to apply again. So he applied again. I said, turned down. He says, I said, what are you going to do? He says, well, God's told me that I'm going. So, well, that's great. And I'm, th I'm just watching what happens now. And then he applies and they, and he think, and they said to him, well, look, this application, we don't, know what, we don't know exactly how we're going to decide. And the time was, was marching on. So I said to him, well, so how's it going? He said, well, I, I, have to, I had to buy a ticket. So he said, I bought an air ticket to go to New York, but I haven't got a visa yet. I said, how can you do that? Well, God told me I'm going. Okay. He got the visa the day before he left. Okay, got the visa, next day got on the plane and flew out. And I thought to myself, you know what? Uh, first of all, his faith, I love, he's, he's, he was activating his faith. I said, that's all we need. If I'm looking for a leadership, a guy in leadership, that's all we need. And the second thing was that God was speaking to him. And it turned out to be just an incredible experience for him. God spoke to him. He heard God say, go to New York City. He heard God say, I'm going to help you to get there. When the visa was turned down, he didn't back off. He said, God told me I'm going. Well, then what he did, he, by, he, on the basis of his revelation, he, took, he takes his money and buys an air ticket, and then he goes. And I, turned, and I, said, when he, when I said to Renee, when he flew out, I said, that, that's a guy that I need on my eldership team. Okay, because he's hearing God. Uh, he's on our eldership team for 14 years, and uh, last year, a year and a half ago now, um, the church just down the road from us, the leader of the church came and said to me, hey, I'm, I'm wanting to hand over the church that I'm leading. Uh, we've been in friendship partnership with this church for many, many years. And, uh, and I said, oh, that's great, you know, hanging over your church. Hey, that's wonderful. So what's the plan? So he said to me, um, I actually think that God's saying that I should speak to Andre. Now, Andre is the guy who was on my team. And uh, he said, um, I'm asking you for permission to speak to Andre to come and to take over my church. You know, in the, in the first moment, I think, not Andre, you know. <laughs> what, a t like, what a cheek, you know. <laughs> my guy, you know. <laughs> anyway, the end of the story is that I really did, uh, I'd known what Andre had been saying to me the couple of years before that, uh, the last two, three years, and I knew he had a church in his heart. And so it was a great event. Uh, we released him to go and lead that church. You see, but it started, started back then where there's a level of revelation that God was giving him. It was growing, growing, growing. He was a great, had a great influence in our church, a total blessing in our church. And now what's happened? He goes to the next, to the next church and God's blessing what he's doing there as well. And it's just been a growing thing. See, but it's level of revelation Level of revelation that actually confirms a God-given authority. So whatever it is in your life, 
Maybe you're not called to be a church leader, pastor, whatever, but in your life, you need to say, God, help me. You know, we need to grow. And what I said in the beginning is, we don't want to stay like we are today. We want to actually go further, right? So whatever it is that you're doing, we actually, we actually want to go further. You might be heading up the children's ministry here, and actually, and actually there's, there's more that God wants for you. He wants to release more life into that area, and he's saying to you, hey, I'm raising you up. Level of revelation. Right, let's make a stop there, take a coffee break.